As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! And time, and time again. Break up the music! Charge your glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Finding the holy grail of some unattended public goalposts with netting attached. The very specific modern footballing phenomenon of a ball-playing centre-back suddenly breaking the lines. International teams with just one world-class player. Away kits going back to basics. Tiny aesthetic things that ruin a game for the neutral. Disappointing deflections, especially ones that society refuses to recognise even years later. Brought your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés and your Mesut Harland Dicks. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 195 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me today are my usual pairing, Charlie Eccleshare. How's it going? Very well. How are you? Not too bad. And David Walker, fresh from his trip to Portugal and indeed a Watford sacking. Uh, Just another weekend for you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Exactly. I know. You can hear me talk all about it on the Athletic Football Podcast. Oh really? I made my debut on the big show. Not sure... What there is left to say about Slavin Bilic as Watford manager? I mean, it's happened three times before, so I mean, um, <laughs> back in his back in familiar ground for him. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm, sorry. How okay. much do you bristle at that, Dave? <laughs> at, 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 at the suggestion that a manager is so Watford. Bristled like the net. Yes, exactly. Fabio Vieira <laughs> Good, good harking back to previous episoding there. Um, today's a very, very special Mez at Highland Dicks. We'll get onto that very shortly, but it's time for the adjudication panel to kick things off. Um, first of all, here's Gary Neville speaking at a Labour Party conference fringe event on Monday about the prospect of an independent regulator for football. Tracy Crouch is a very credible MP who has done a brilliant job on behalf of football. And I have to say... The cross has been played into the box. All this trust needs to do with the 
other cabinet ministers is head it into the back of the net. So I think we're a little unnerved at the moment. Charlie, something of a betrayal here. When mm. We've, we've uh, lambasted MPs for deploying crude football cliches to reach the common man. And now we have an ex-footballer uh, doing the same thing. He's been sucked into their world too far. But I guess he's also doing it for the politicians. So he's kind of, if you're giving him... He's sort of talking in their language because it's a kind of hackneyed football cliche that they'll be like, oh, that's very clever. Yes, I see yeah. what he's done there. It's, 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 he, he's applied football language to, to politics. The, the chuckles there, Dave, very manager's first press conference there, weren't they? Very yeah. polite. Yeah, yeah. I, exa- I think he's speaking to a very generous audience in the similar sort of manner, to be honest. A tap-in. Quite like the, um, the imagery, at least quite vivid, Charlie, of Liz Truss at the back post. Towering at her. Well, especially there were all those memes of her curtsying for the Queen made oh, into course. someone lobbing a ball up. So I wonder if uh, sub- yeah. subconsciously that's affected. Yeah, I think there. she's more of a she's more of a front post flick on merchant for me. <laughs> Stoop to conquer. Oh dear. Right, moving on. Um, Slovenia's sought after 19 year old Benjamin Sheshko scoring a lovely volley against League B Group Four basement boy Sweden. The other night, um, here's the local commentary. The uh, before we get to the main event of that, Charlie, the the sort of raucous laughter halfway through was very Andy Gray um, agreeing vehemently with a point made on being sports. (laughs) (laughs) The 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 way they dovetailed actually was quite Gray as well. Yeah, how he'd used to come in. Lovely. Yeah, I mean, shades of this sort of um, Margaret Thatcher, your boys do one hell of a beating. Yes. Addressing Van Basten directly, apostrophe as it's known. Where are you now? (laughs) Where are you now? Um, Yeah, just a wonderful delivery, Dave, more than anything. Curious, though. I don't know how common this is. Why did he switch into English for that bit? Or maybe uh, presuming that Marco Van Basten doesn't speak Slovenian or any of the languages commentated on by Sport Club TV channel and uh, presumed that English would be the best best way to get to him directly. Well, like in that, your boys took one ahead of a beating. There there are quite a few examples. I know this from in the book the, with the commentary. With you do, They will slip in. They'll, do a, they'll kind of just chuck in an English phrase or idiom. And I guess maybe he thought, where are you now, is, is one of those that everyone would recognise. Slightly annoying that it's on the opposite side to... The yeah, I did, think, I did think the exact Bolly. same thing. Yeah. yeah. It's a good point about this. I mean, despite being um, reasonably two-footed myself, I have to say, a lot of people out there, Dave, might not appreciate that goal because it's left-footed. I think they might not be able to sort of viscerally understand how nice it must be to hit a ball like that. Um, So uh, you're saying you can? Have you done that? Have you? Yeah, sure. Either side wouldn't bother me. I I, I can grasp (laughs) grasp the concept (laughs) on either side. No problem. No problem at all. I'd like to point something else out to our listeners um, who won't have seen this clip. 
but I hope it's, it's the same thing. I noticed. It, it will be. Um, I think this came up in a preview. This came up with uh, Rory Smith when he did MHD. So this is this is Sweden against Slovenia in the Nations <laughs> yes. League, and one of the advertising hoardings says Steve Perryman sports travel. Yes, <laughs> this was screaming out at me. I've literally I've just googled what I wasn't Someone aware. Someone tweeted this in as well, um, Charlie. I hope. Upon your googling of it, you had the anticlimax that I did, so to speak. That it's not to do with the Steve Perry. Yes, yes. disappointing, isn't it? it really, I was thinking that's fair play to him that he's you know as well as racking up like two thousand appearances for Spurs or whatever mm. it is, uh, he's also it was formed in Sweden '97. Wait a minute, yeah, I think it oh, was. Oh, maybe it is the same. Steve it Perry. is. Well, according to this... Oh, OK. The Scandinavian connection does work then. OK, I didn't dig yeah. deep enough. The company seems. was... Co- according to this, it says the company was co-founded by former Tottenham Hotspur captain Steve Perryman and has offices in Sweden, Norway and Finland. Does he own Raynham Steel as well? <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, Herman uh, Garage Door Company. He's completely cornered <laughs> the Nations League advertising market. Hope so. Wow. Do hope so. Next up, um, the news that uh, 32-year-old Fabian Delph has hung up his boots, Dave... Sky Sports carried this news on their little ticker at the bottom. Mm. And uh, various people pointed out that it reads, Delph guided Man City to two Premier League titles in four-year spell at Etihad Stadium from 2015 to 2019. Not having guided here, <laughs> no. unless I I've managing forgotten them. somehow Fabian Delph's four seasons in charge of Manchester City. <laughs> Absolutely not. Is this somebody's watched the Amazon Prime documentary mm. and saw a couple of those dressing room scenes and you know, just got ideas above their station, really, with that ticker, with with those words. Like, he was a force, clearly a forceful character in the dressing room, but there was no guide. He was not the guiding hand. I agree. Charlie, let's let's steer this slightly away from um, Fabian Delph defamation, if we could, and uh, Delphamation, perhaps. But um, what and where should we be using guided? Is it just for managers? Some people suggesting it could be captains. I think it's just managers, isn't it? Managers was what came to mind. I don't know. Can you guide? Did did John Terry? I don't. Would you say John Terry guided? No, that would make it sound like he was caretaker or something. Led is fine. Just about. You can have captain. Captains can lead teams to titles. Managers guide and managers steer, and that could be to titles and away from relegation. Skippered. Yeah, I was going to say you could skip it. You could say skip it again. That would be skipper. That feels like second or third mentioned, but skip is good. Right, who wants before we get on to the main event here, who wants a little quick game of For My Sins Corner? <laughs> yes, please. Dave, Dave's a little bit tired. I, I I fear for you here. Um Charlie's got a bit of a sniffle as well, so maybe that evens things up. Both of you very out of form, either way, going into this one. Who will finally hold their nerve? This is from the Radio One Breakfast Show with Greg James. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? Really good. Welcome to the breakfast show. Thank you for being up and about and doing the quiz today. Who have you sold cars to? Uh, well, quite a few over the years, but Butch has got to be my favourite. Uh, are you joking? No, she's an absolute joy. I l- well, we're all obs- everyone should be obsessed with uh, with Pam St Clement, who plays Pat Butcher in EastEnders. Is she lovely in real life? Uh, honestly, I wouldn't kick her out of my pub. She's um, <laughs> she's uh, she's very on EastEnders. Obviously, on EastEnders, she talks a bit like that. But in, in real life, darling, she's a, an actor, isn't she? She speaks oh, a little bit like awfully, that. Awfully, 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 yes. awfully frightfully. Yes, yes, yes. Am I allowed to ask what car Pat Butcher bought from you? 
Um, it was an Audi. Uh, I can see that. I can see St. Clement in an ah! Audi. Yeah, yeah. So, Andy, are you still a car salesman? Uh, well, yeah, from the same... Oh, no! Ah! <laughs> oh, how's it, how's it, it moment? <laughs> End-to-end stuff in (laughs) 4xSins Corner here. Charlie going absurdly early. Absurdly early. Almost as if he was trying to make it a spectacle. And Dave, well, he just ran out of time in the end. It was just too long. I just couldn't see where it was was going. Defence kind of opened up for you to shoot and you just didn't take it. Yeah, no. Charlie, Charlie's absolutely kicking himself, I think. Um, well, well, by the end, it was so. It was just an absolute uh, stonewall for my sinsing. Yeah, it really, really was. Um, but yeah, selling cars to Pat Butcher. Um. I, I thought he was going to sort of say, "Oh yeah, well, you know, I've got, a, I've always had a bit of a thing for Pat Butcher for my sins." <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, from a neutral perspective, arguably very fitting um, use of the phrase, personally. Um, but now. It's time for a very, very special Mesut Harland Dicks. Uh, now, Dave, you know better than anyone, it's very hard to secure guests for mm. Mesut Harland Dicks. Not because we're not a particularly popular podcast, not a draw for people, but we need people who get it. Ideally, someone who listens to the pod quite regularly. So, we thought we'd ask our listeners. Who knows better than them? And they're champing at the bit, Charlie. Quite rightly so. But a few people, a few naysayers out there, Charlie, a few sceptical people eyeing up this episode and suggesting it's a bit of a cop-out. Will Beckman sneers, same energy as uh, QPR giving the Players Player of the Year to their fans. No. <laughs> I like it, though. <laughs> I li- Yes, but no, nothing like that. We're just, we just, we want to hear what you have to say. Hmm. Alex McEwen writes in, Dave says, I remember when the pod had the pulling power to get Sir Keir Starmer on Mesut Holland Dicks. Was Lampard making the calls back then? Very good. <laughs> yeah, very good. Tremendous amount of correspondence to this. Um, hundreds of you sent in uh, your selections for Mesut Holland Dicks. Uh, AfricaStamps.co.uk, professional philatelist, stamp dealer and philatelic traders society member. Uh, one of his entries, Charlie, was the opposition scoring. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yep. All right, Keir Starmer. <laughs> that was almost like sophisticated for Keir, actually. Anyway, meanwhile, Dave, incredible number of people whose gears get grinded either by the concept of quadrants or by the concept of people who get their gears grinded by the concept of quadrants. Quadrant chat was very heavy. People think they're niche. I mean, it is niche, but not quite enough for us, perhaps. Ben wrote in Charlie and says, my number one love is the number of cliches listeners who, like me, have saved their personal MHD as a note on their phone, presumably <laughs> in case they suddenly become famous and don't have time to prepare when the invite comes. A lot of iPhone notes were supplied over the last 24 uh, hours. That's great. I mean, it is like Desert Island Disc that a lot of people will come up with their own selections or agonise over it as if, yeah, they might get the call up one day. I've certainly got my own drafted MHD or DID? Uh, oh, MHD. Sorry. Yeah, just to be absolutely clear. Yeah, God, awful. Yeah, I, ideas. I have station moment there. I have thought. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast continues to grow. You never know. <laughs> yeah, I have thought about MHD ones. I've got a few that I think would be quite good. It's nice to swap one in and put one, put a new one in. Just to know you're tweaking it. But anyway, let's get on with this. We've tweaked the format slightly. There are going to be five loves and five hates in this bumper edition of Mesut Harland Dicks. Let's let's dig into the loves first. Um, This one is from Matt Harrison. Finding public goalposts as a kid wasn't really anything special, but finding goalposts that had netting in them was just the best thing in the world. And even now, if I'm out somewhere and I see someone, I'll still get like a little excited feeling 
just because it seems so rare that you'd find someone that actually had a net. <laughs> Cheers. Now, this is, I mean, maybe this is a privileged upbringing or, or maybe not. This is maybe this is the kind of the, the rare nugget of gold. And I realise that many people's childhoods, including many of ours, were punctuated by upturned mountain bikes and things like that. But finding a goal with a net in to kick a ball into as a kid, the dream. Absolutely. I love this one because I can even remember very vividly only happened once right. in my childhood. I remember I bought, I had a, I got given a mitre ball for my birthday or something. Not the Ultimax. It was like the next one down, the sort of orangey red triangle one. Um, and I remember going to Casterbury Park in Watford with one of my mates who was better at football than me. So he put me in goal and basically just smashed it at me for about an hour. But we found these net, like maybe it must have been like Saturday football or. Maybe they, it was Saturday football. They left them up for Sunday. Maybe, I think that's the only reason I could think of why they would why they would do that. But yeah, it was just like we couldn't believe it—the simple pleasure of not having to run and get the ball, and and the sound, and it feels real and proper, mm. brilliant. Yeah, I mean, Charlie, perhaps we we take for granted to an extent goal nets because you get them at Power League, and you know, Power League is a nice little contained area to play football. But the difference between playing football in a full-size goal without a net and one with any sort of net even one that dangles down is immense cavernous it's amazing to think as well yeah with things like power league how much we spent without any sort of goal i mean not even you know let alone nets just having any we didn't have a frame obviously like you say there'd be upturned bikes and just jumpers and then you'd have the whole they were like did it actually go in did it not you couldn't score off the post obviously um yeah, that what that was like a truly magical thing. Just having that feeling of a ball hitting the back of the net. I remember there was one guy who had quite a big garden, and he had a goal. Oh God! His, it was. I mean, it was incredible. Was it, it too could, big for his garden, or were we talking an absolutely gargantuan garden? It wasn't a full size goal. Oh right! But even oh, right. so, it was, was one of say, those goals. I thought you were that... friends with Rod Stewart's kids for a second, <laughs> or any retired <laughs> Premier League footballer. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but it had an even. I mean, any goal. Just that it had a net, and the added value of that was was just incredible. And and also a relative of this phenomenon. I remember I was quite old at this point. I was probably like eighteen or something. And a few of us we were in Bristol, and we were just we went for a, we were visiting a friend at uni. We went for a walk the following morning, and we sort of in the park. There were lots of ga- amateur games happening, and even that we just we found ourselves just like stood transfixed watching. We we're like, <laughs> what are we doing? Like we watch football all the time, and yet somehow it's like oh my God, there's like live football going on. We sort of have to stay and watch it. So actual goals. And I re- just made you want to play so badly. It's it's the biggest possible step um, from, you know, disorganised football to the top level, right? You know, right. That's the, it's the biggest kind of evolutionary step you can have. As soon as a net is in mm. the equation, that's it. It's, it's mm. a complete next level. It's, it's properly kind of, yeah. It is, and and because it's a, it's quite a unique thing to football, because you can't if you found a tennis court without a net, you can't play. I suppose basketball actually it doesn't really matter because basketball the game still happens. If you don't have a net on the hoop, it, yeah, well, they, well, you, do I do they have nets in basketball? What's the point? I don't know really. Aesthetics? I don't know what the point is, but yeah, no maybe it's, just, to it. it's a nice it's a nice sound, isn't it? But um, but you still you still play the game, and and he's not really it doesn't really matter. You don't have to run after the ball like you would do in football. Um, you can't play cricket if you see a cricket square, but you haven't got wickets. You can't really do it. Like 
but with football it is you can play a, ma- a match without a net but it is just so much worse I am um, on the final point on this Charlie and um, we hear a lot about the the cage football of southeast London and the talents the conveyor belt of talent that that has created you know the pressure um of playing in that um but I do wonder how they all feel about the ball bouncing back out of their metallic goals in the cage must they almost feel like they're playing at the Dell <laughs> the the notion of of finding um a full-size goal in a park or a playing field with a net un- unguarded it feels it feels a little bit um oh back in my day we didn't even used to lock the doors yeah yeah it is i mean but i mean my memories of it is like you would have to sneak in sneak on at half time to have as many shots as possible before the, the grown-ups came back to sort of commandeer the net back and then afterwards it would be literally a maximum of about four minutes before a bloke in a pickup truck came and sort of collected them all took them away because they would be vandalized otherwise disappointing um state of affairs right next up this is from bobby webb and in true bbc points of view style here he is in voice note form hi adam my main footballing love is when a centre-back plays a pass along the floor into their striker's feet. The pass has got to be over a reasonable distance. It's got to split the opposition midfield and preferably be after Shabin to originally play the pass out wide. That combination of a defender giving someone the eyes, the ball zipping past kind of four or five bodies in the centre circle and the opposition central midfielders all having to turn at once to defend it make it the most satisfying pass in all of football. When I'm watching a game as a neutral, it's almost better than a goal for me. This, <laughs> Dave, this is great. And I love MHD selections that that refer to the actual kicking of a football in mm. any context. This is a very specific one. Also, I, can, I think quite a modern one. And I like the fact that Bobby has introduced the concept of giving the opposition the eyes when giving this pass. Because now I understand exactly the sort of pass he means. It's kind of a whipped, side-footed pass through the opposition midfield into the feet of the striker. Proper pace on it as well. Yeah. Superb from Bobby Webb. This feels like something Michael Cox would, would, would say, actually. I think it feels quite Coxian. It is a modern thing, though. He I would feel identify like it's been invented it in it, yeah. recent years. Like someone said, right, we need to beat the press and get between the lines nice and quickly. There's so many great elements about this because it, it, it's like like any great development in football. It feels like it's a skill some people have and some people don't. And clearly, there are some defenders who do that. That element of disguise that he talks about is correct. I'm imagining a right-footed centre back as if they're going to play it out to the right back, and then it, that that whip. You, you've got to hit it so, so hard. I mean, it is the natural evolution. You know, we talk about ball-playing centre-backs and this sort of thing, but it's not something that when Rio emerged as that ball-playing centre-back in the 90s. But it's just such a key skill now to have I, in your it's, arsenal. It's quite John Matip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas um, you can do it. Another mm. Liverpool exponent of this, further up the field, but uh, Thiago Alcantara. Yes, um, but, uh, but he doesn't quite, uh, because of his position, I don't think he would quite have the distance that Bobby was No, not quite, after. but... But he is the ultimate exponent of the disguise. Like he did it against <clears throat> Chelsea a couple of times. I think it was yeah. his debut for Liverpool. Like he, when he, he really shaped to go wide, and they were making sort of graphics on the analysis of it about how they thought he was going to go wide, and properly whipped it into the striker. But um, another important point that Bobby makes here, Bobby Webb, by the way, very centre halfy name, Dave, um, about how it looks great as a neutral. And I think that's so important. Things that look good, things that appeal to you when you're watching a game as a neutral to keep your interest levels up. But yeah, when it's your, when it's kind of your vested interest, Dave. And your team do it. You think, okay, they've really upped the tempo here. They're really kind of they're making something happen. Yes, because it just looks better than if you were to clip a pass from centre back into the chest of a centre forward. That still has the connotations of 
going long, playing long ball, whereas keeping it on the floor, and it, it has that sort of slide rule through the corridor, not of uncertainty. What is no. it? The, co- the corridor, of, corridor of certainty? I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. It's, um, it's a very crowded corridor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it does. It is better. It's more more aesthetically pleasing. It feels harder to do. It feels more deliberate, more modern. It's good. Deluxe Route 1 football. Excellent from Bobby Webb. Thank you. Next up, Matt Enner. One of my fascinations of football is international teams with precisely one world-class player and all the other players are average. It's just something that would never, ever happen at club level and so it makes it really interesting to watch. This is great. It's such a spectacle because... um, First and foremost, you don't even need to watch the game to enjoy it. Just as a concept, it's great. And it elevates that player to godlike status as well. It's great. Yeah, there's lots in this, actually. And I've, I've thought about this a lot. And I think there's a reason why international football is often now more interesting than club football. Because club football now, you do assemble all the best players in one place. Whereas, obviously, like for Norway, say they've got Erling Haaland. Yes, they've got Odegaard. But those two are like... Yeah, but does that... Mm. That doesn't does that count? count. I'm not having that. Odegaard, well, you think, if, you, you Odegaard, think there's Odegaard that... I think Norway yeah, I are guess. generally too good as well. Yeah. Historically I too think, good. is it more like uh, Gabon with Aubameyang? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you know? that's a pure example. Um, I need... In my head, it needs to be... I mean, that's a, the dynamic is perfect there, but in my head, it needs to be someone a little bit more sort of talismanic, sort of carrying the weight of that country on their shoulders. South Korea and Son... But are they too generally a bit too good? Yeah, there are other good South Korean players, it, notable South Korean players in Europe. I mean, I mean, typically, Charlie, it would have to be a forward, I think, because they are almost, then by default, they get the captain's armband. And it looks kind of weird that they've got mm. the captain's armband. But again, it adds to the, the weight of it. Son is the um, South Korea captain. And I saw a clip of a goal he scored the other day and just instantly you see this big yellow armband on him and it, mm. it raises him like it makes him look like genuinely the main man so I, I love this phenomenon but I'm trying to think of the ultimate one who's the ultimate it's annoying that there is Odegaard because I think otherwise Haaland is because he's so fucking good and to be playing for Norway mm. Bale and Wales it seems like a fairly yeah. reasonable suggestion yeah. doesn't it yeah I think Aaron Ramsey though would, would want a word yeah <laughs> Lewandowski in Poland, perhaps the same issue, I think. They've got enough decent players in and around him, haven't they? Son has got a good example, because really, you're not going to you're not gonna have like complete... Or, uh, yeah, or Aubameyang. Both Salah and Egypt. I'm thinking of players that drag their teams to glory, single-handedly dragging. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But yeah, great stuff from Matt Enner. Really appreciate that one. I do feel like this is, this is prime, prime territory for we're going to get besieged with tweets about oh you didn't mention this nation there's got to be one we're missing yeah current probably yeah that's fine but, I mean but I, in the spirit of today's show that's fine yeah mm. get in touch I feel like it's yeah. a timeless concept it could be any era really so right here's Tom Atkins with our fourth love of football from our listeners um, here comes the voice note so I have a thing about away kits which are a precise replica of the home kit but in all white I'm thinking Crown Paints era Liverpool. Villa did a lot of it in my head as well in the 80s. And um, to this day, whenever I, whenever it snows, I always think 
basically that the world has its away kit on. Oh, what a beautiful... <laughs> I, I, this was 50% of the reason for including this. The very poetic ending to this from Tom Atkins. Whenever it snows, I still think it looks like the world has its away kit on. Charlie, this is like thinking child's book territory, isn't it? Great prose. Yeah, what a lovely sentiment. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and this, if that wasn't a child's book, they'd obviously never be told that that wasn't the case. They'd just be there to believe it was right, and then there'd be some little gl- clue that maybe they were right all along. Back in the real world, though, Charlie, how do you feel about this? I'm I'm fully on board with it. Away kits, I, I don't think this is very proper football man of me. I think away kits have gone silly. I think they've gone too far. And I think the beauty of just simply having either a mirror image away kit or mm. an all-white with the same design is the way we should be going. Yeah, I mean, do you... But if lots of clubs are doing that, do you have an issue? What we were talking about the other day of the kind of template uh, identikit. There is a template uh, aspect to it. I do understand. Yeah, maybe some maybe some clubs' designs sort of lend themselves to it more. Maybe I don't know. But but you can see where he's coming from here. The spirit. Yeah, there. definitely. I mean, some clubs as well though have a sort of traditional away colour, don't they? Yeah, um, yellow quite popular. Yeah, yellow's popular often with red, um, and so I think that that you sort of have to juggle. Um, as in if the red is the home um, you sort of then have to juggle those considerations but yeah no I, I, I like I like the idea of it on this point I know this is a bit of a tangent I feel bad for clubs who don't have an established away colour some people might think they've stayed open minded Dave over the years but no you should have like a traditional uh, away yes. colour that you occasionally return to completely agree now, I, I am an advocate of, of all clubs having standardised away kit because it looks colour. good when away fans are all together wearing that shirt. That's their colours for the away team. Right? Like that. Otherwise, it just looks like they're just, you know, mm. mishmash. Exactly, yeah. I mean, we know why. We know all the reasons why, why it is. Money. Why it is, yeah. It is. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all fine. But, like, I, it, annoy, like, it annoys me that I have to wait each season to see whether I'll be disappointed with Watford's away kit. I think of Watford's away kit as red, but I don't know if that's based on anything. Yeah, I would um, say red. No. We have well, we've had okay. we have had we have had red a couple of times, but more more frequently <laughs> white. We've had we've had quite a number of white away kits. We've had a number yeah. of blue away kits. Um, but yeah, great stuff from Tom Atkins. Pure poetry. Uh, our final love of football from our listeners this time it comes from Richie. One of the things I love about football is watching the reactions of teammates after a goal has been scored. You don't often see it till the second or maybe third replay, but watching a right back who's miles from the action pump his fist in glee, or watching the centre half jump up and down as the ball hits the net is always something that I tend to look out for. This has become a growing obsession for me, Charlie, because um, (laughs) certain camera angles after goals lend themselves to this kind of study. And uh, now once I've seen a goal three times in a row, my attention will turn to the furthest flung Hmm. member of the team that have just scored to see what they're doing not the goalkeeper because that is a different say, subsection we've yeah, covered that, this before yeah, you know, the jumping yeah, around yeah. or the kind of turning to the fans and going yes but um, yeah just the furthest flung kind of full back I want to see how they react and or maybe like a rival striker in the team who is on that sort of not involved in the goal who might be on the edge of the six yard box I instantly want to know how feverishly they celebrate <laughs> sometimes they don't even raise their arms you think oh is he annoyed it, I find it fascinating oh that's it yeah well I think I often think that with a sub uh, striker or you know a player who's not playing and, and they or if someone's about to come on and they're standing by the manager they sometimes they'll really celebrate it sometimes it's quite a sort of half-hearted clap while they think oh fuck does that mean I'm not going to come on now this is true Dave whenever you see a sort of a shot of a bench after a goal's been scored in a replay and you see some of the substitutes just not giving a single shit you think oh my god 
You're mm. not part of this at all. What are you doing? You should be celebrating. Sometimes they just sort of sit there going, yeah, not bad. <laughs> yeah. Or just sort of having a little quiet word with their fellow disgruntled mm. substitute as someone else claps in gloves. But they the should flip- know. Yeah. They should know that the cameras are going to be on them. Or the flip side of this, of course, like a, a player who's been completely frozen out, Charlie, a player who hasn't, who isn't in the picture at all, has been linked with a move away, probably wants a move away, you know, training with the reserves or whatever. They're getting stuck into in the celebration. You think, well, that's heartwarming <laughs> too. There's so much to this. That is really, yeah, that is really, really nice mm. uh, where there are subplots. But I've, yeah, that's a good, like to look out for like the fullback. Uh, I mean, I think of Gary Neville. I mean, obviously he had some high profile ones where he would go crazy. Like there was a Liverpool yeah. uh, one, but he sometimes would just sort of be on his own quite angrily pumping his fist. Um one genuinely life-affirming set of footballing loves from our listeners. This is great. This is a great idea, by the way. I'm so glad we did this. What do you do in this situation when playing Sunday League or whatever? If you're if you're playing at the back and someone scores, do you run up and celebrate or do you stand and do a fist pump or arms in the air? I don't go and join. Um, Same. I, I, I know this is going to sound a little bit like co-commentator banter, but I, you know, I'll, I'll be knackered and I can't be bothered to get back. Yeah. I genuinely think that's part of it. It's, it's too exactly, far to go is what I'm saying. It's exactly the reason. Yeah, I'm the same. But Both yeah, arms I'll, out in the air, just a big, I'll, I'll let out a big come on or yes or whatever, but yeah. I'm not running. Yeah, Charlie, you won't understand this because you're in the mix as a right midfielder. So you're probably, you're probably doing a Rio Ferdinand jumping on their shoulders for all we know. But, um, but the, the other problem of being a defender in the celebration, if you do want to get involved, like if it's someone on your team you particularly like or you were really happy for them, you have to wait for them to come back. And then after a while, after a goal, it becomes quite awkward, quite weird that you go up to them and celebrate them, give them the two high fives. Like, well done, mate. Um, there's a time limit for this sort of thing. The, the moment's gone a little yeah, bit. Yes. <laughs> and it's, they don't see you coming and they pile so, you off. It's awful. So, oh, I don't know. Sort of done now. Yeah. yeah, occasionally, if it was sort of too far away or whatever, I would, there might be someone closer that you could sort of have a an individual celebration with, um, sort of share that moment. If you're a goalie, though, at David Sunday League, it's just a big old clap of the gloves. We've covered this before, but it, as long as you know that somebody can hear it, the big clap of the gloves is all that you need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, much, much too far to run. Yeah, completely agree. I, I quite enjoyed saying, because some people would say it's in an earnest way, to someone who had nothing to do with the goal, like, that was all you, fella. <laughs> people would say that about goals. Like, mm, was it? <laughs> like, to sort of single out someone Great who... Great stuff, Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. share. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Very much the, a live version of a quick word for, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, he, he started the move with that tackle, boys. It's like, mm, yeah, the guy did then smash it in from 30 yards. Excellent stuff. As we go through this voyage of user-generated content on the Football Clichés podcast this time, um, a reminder that you can indeed get into the mix, get in on the act for the live shows that are coming up in November in London, Manchester and Dublin. Just go to myticket.co.uk and you'll see us on the front page or just Google Football Clichés Live and you can get your hands on a precious ticket to see us in the flesh this November. This is Ian Irving, host of Talk of the Devils, the podcast dedicated to Manchester United from The Athletic. After what's felt like an eternity without Premier League football, it's back with a bang for United this weekend with the Manchester derby taking top billing. Join myself, Andy Mitten, Laurie Whitwell and Carl Anker every week, but particularly this week as we build up to what's probably the toughest test yet 
of United's newfound optimism under Eric Ten Hag. Just search for Talk of the Devils wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to click follow and subscribe for access to all our episodes. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Right, now... Uh, always the fun part of the proceedings. We're going to talk about our listeners' hates or irritations of football now. Um, let's kick off with Nathan, please. I hate it when a performance of a team is described as brave. Usually used for the team in the lower part of the table, away from home against a top club. For example, Bournemouth battled bravely in their 3-0 loss to City at the Etihad. What's so brave about it? Please make it make sense. <laughs> I'm glad he's opened a window yeah. to this, Charlie, because if there's one thing that this podcast has achieved already, it's to show that there is a beautiful variety in the language of football. There are in, in every conceivable mainstream scenario of football, there is a incredible range of words and phrases that can be used, except in this one. I think brave is a really lazy word to use in this scenario that he's painted here and similar ones. And there aren't many other options either. Brave is rubbish. It's a yeah. rubbish word to use for a collective performance as well. I mean, there's a whole thing. Um, plucky. Plucky is, is another one. Um, and in tennis, talk about a plucky Brit who mm. that can range from losing closely or just getting battered. It, it's yeah, just there's no remit to it as well. It's, it's just thrown in, isn't it? And I think plucky and brave often is used in an FA Cup third round defeat. You know, they their brave resistance was broken or, you know... Gave a good account showing. of themselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's very patronising. Uh, the, the, I mean, and also, it has lost all meaning. Like, yes, it would be... Bre- in this example, if Bournemouth played in a really attacking way and thought, we could get absolutely done here on the break and lose 9 or 10 nil, but we're going to give it a right good go, there would be a degree of bravery to doing that. But if it's just you've gone there and sat everyone behind the ball and... Well, it, it, it often just means they were quite good. So they, mental they, courage they, they versus hard. footballing courage. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think so. Yeah. But I think, yeah, in this, often it, it is just a substitute for they were okay, mm. but lost. They turned up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If Bournemouth really did battle bravely in a 3-0 defeat to City, then then Guardiola would come out, Dave, and really congratulate them for their so forward brave. thinking. Thanks for letting so us brave. win. So brave. So brave. So <laughs> never seen a team so brave. Team. Bournemouth oh, I are... I can't tell you. I can't tell you. I'm, I'm glad that Nathan has picked Bournemouth for this example because they they really are one of the archetypal battled bravely teams, I think. Really? I think so. 
It's, I got, it's alliterative. Is. I mean, it, it, headlines are yeah. to blame here mostly. Brave Bournemouth. As what Watford have been on the hand of many a heavy defeat from Manchester City, and I can never remember us being described as battling bravely to a whatever. Whereas <laughs> Bournemouth, whereas Bournemouth, plucky Bournemouth. Eddie Howes, plucky Bournemouth, did their <laughs> oh, best. <laughs> real, real um, axe to grind here. But yeah. I mean, um, Charlie, as I said, this is this word is thrown in too loosely. I feel like there should be a threshold for this. I mean, the scenario that Nathan paints here, a 3-0 defeat for Bournemouth. You could have battled bravely in the early stages, but overall we can't call it a brave battle. They lost 3-0. I feel like two-goal deficit maximum, surely. The, o- the only way they could battle bravely in this is they... They battled bravely, but conceded two late goals that oh, added okay. gloss. Yeah. So you know, three 0 is a bit of a deceptive scoreline. Might have been ten um, men. Cause ten yeah. Men is, t- ten men is instant bravery, right? Doesn't matter. Especially who you if are. it was a, especially if it was a harsh red. Could- so I think it is possible. But I, I don't. I, I, I th- if, if you're battling bravely in a three 0 it has to be a three 0 that doesn't feel like. Yeah. A three-nil. Fair enough. Fair enough. Dave, could a big six club conceivably be brave? Ever can't see it. Well, only if you, like you just said, if there was a red card in a Champions League semi-final or something, or a Champions Maybe League final, holding and on with nine men, something just like that. Wow, certainly would be plucky, would it? I mean, can no. you win? Can you no. win and be plucky? No, I don't think so. No, I think you can only be plucky. In the it's team. too condescending, isn't it? Absolutely mm. right. Yeah, but yeah, great stuff from Nathan. Love this one. Right, this is very, very specific. But it went straight in to my shortlist. This is from Tom, who says, I hate when I'm watching a game as a neutral, crucial here, and a cross deflects off a defender back onto the crosser and out for a goal <laughs> kick. I deserve to see a corner. Davies nailed this. I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm genuinely fascinated by the psychology of watching a televised game as a neutral. I can switch off really easily. I can fall asleep really easily. Mm. I can muck around on Twitter really easily and see half an hour's gone in this game that I'm half watching. This sort of thing makes it worse. I get particularly annoyed by this because I often bet on corners. Oh, God, grubby. <laughs> I, I what <laughs> a life. <laughs> not just on corners. It's part of a thing. You know, oh. I'm, an, I'm a general <laughs> addict. It's not just corners. <laughs> I'll do anything. Oh. But it is really annoying. And it happens more than you think as well. Uh, um, what, what's so good about this, in the example described it, it always comes in a crap game that just there's like an ugh that follows it in a like well that sort of sums up the first 25 minutes like give us a corner like give us yeah. something to grab onto and it will be you know the corner that might lift the home fans but instead they don't get it it just it's it's so flat and it will often then prompt a sort of been a spin a slow <laughs> not quite got going this one i think that yeah. sums up his first half yeah. actually just peter was a bit flat uh, goodison it's like oh just give us a corner um i think crucially charlie this scenario has to be completely uncontentious there has to be no doubt that it's a goal kick as well so there's there's no even there's no sort of spark of controversy about it but you can see the sentiment bleed into the body language of the player who has essentially conceded the goal kick which is oh the body's yes. sort of slumping <laughs> because there's something so annoying because it's not it's not like the defenders earned that goal kick they've just got completely lucky with the ricochet so it's like, oh, you lucky fucker. I mean, there are similar situations to this as a neutral, Dave, when you're watching a game, sort of, I'm thinking sort of the Sunday 2pm, the real struggle, um, which is overhit free kicks, of course, the sort of sail out. And you just think, oh, 
I wanted something here. It was potentially exciting for me. Um, similar to um, Tom's scenario, which is a shot that you think or hope has taken a deflection. The referee thinks about it for a couple of seconds and then just points really casually for a goalkeeper. thing. I wanted something. Give it to me. I deserve it. I'm entitled to it as a neutral. I've paid my subscription or I'm using somebody else's login. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so greedy. Well, like, in, in that example, Charlie, with the cross, like you just say, the defender hasn't really earned it. And yet the home fans will always applaud it as if they've... Oh, yeah. As if it was a carefully planned strategy. But I think they're more just applauding the outcome. Yeah, relief just... again, isn't it? Yeah, relief disguised as congratulation. That's what football's all about, I think. Next up, this is from Lewis Wood. Um, really appealing to our intellectual hearts here. My biggest hatred of football is when I meet someone who likes football but isn't quite into it the same amount that I am. Um, so when you meet someone and they want to talk about Ronaldo versus Messi or who's going to win the league this year, uh, whereas I want to talk about which object from a different sport you can introduce to football uh, to have maximum effect, uh, for example, darts or a horse. Um, so I find it frustrating when I have to dull down my niche interests and obscure knowledge uh, to just kind of talk about recent games with someone that's only slightly interested in football, but not quite the same as me. Now, Charlie, I mean, this could, on the face of it, look quite elitist of us, but football's a universal thing. And I think it's OK to want to gravitate towards people who have the same grasp at a granular level than you do. So I think that's OK. And we've also celebrated small talk when it comes to football mm. and bridging the gap. So there's no real issue here. I just, when there is such a cavernous gap between your understanding of the game and the person you're talking to, it is rubbish because it because it it turns you into someone you don't want to be, right? Yeah, I think as well. It's 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 about pitching things, you know. So if someone, you know, so uh, you know, someone might be to me, you know, how um, think how, how do you think Spurs will do this season? You're kind of like how you know how granular do you, do you want me to go here? <laughs> how general? It's like if someone's there, like, oh, how, how have you been? You're like, well, you know, what area? How, how specifically? <laughs> Same start of every go? single podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> generally fine yeah I, I i know what they mean as well there, there can sometimes be a sort of disappointment but also sometimes there can the, the flip side could be a sort of relief it's like okay they i can keep this as sort of light and general they don't need me to go sort of yeah. too specific david I mean, I, as a watford fan that's you must we do suffer it for, for, for a job a well when you've got people making cheap jokes about sackings and a little bit a little bit a little bit but actually less less so on a watford level more so just just down to the fact that, as we all do, you're working in the football media industry. So we are surrounded every day by so much information, by so much opinion, and we're across everything because we have to be for our jobs. So, so often I find myself, particularly when you're like in a situation like a stag do or a party or something where you're with people that don't know you that well and they'll just sort of start talking about football and they'll be presenting opinion as if it's fact and I know what they're talking is objectively bollocks <laughs> but I then have to decide do I weigh yeah. in do I leave it no. how much I just can I be asked no. and nothing would be gained nothing but then would be but gained. then I'm just sitting there no. not saying anything and do they all think I'm being rude like it's a, it's a bloody nightmare. I think the only strategy yeah. here is to say is to adopt an approach a little bit like I don't know. I think it's a little bit That's unfair. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. It's exactly that. It's the yeah. No, I think some people do think that. Yeah. But I, I don't because you can't just ignore some it. That, people that. think that. 
<laughs> How thinly yeah, that... veiled that is, Charlie. It's amazing. <laughs> Disgusting yeah, no, behaviour, th- actually. Th- th- there is that is a view, but no, I think, yeah, no. <laughs> that, I is that, that is a saying. That is a saying. I was getting my hair cut the other week, and this guy was really vociferously putting some opinions towards me. Like He was like, watch out for Palace. I've looked at their fixtures. Palace, man, they are going to go on a run. And I was like, it was like, I think they could get, I really think they could get the top six this year. It's like, okay. Research? Like, maybe, yeah. I, was like, I, I don't really, I, I mean, instinctively, I probably don't think that's likely, but you seem to really believe this. Fair play and to then, people who are looking at other teams' upcoming fixtures. Yeah. Exactly. Smell, that smells like a man who plays FPL to me. I was yeah. just going to say, I think it's more FPL than a general sort of uh, interest in the game, unfortunately. Agreed. Okay, next up, this is from Eddie Rose. And it's a very straightforward one, actually. He says, when a replay shows what seems an initially great goal was actually deflected, is a disappointment unrivaled in the world of sport. Um, not a particularly sophisticated uh, sensation here, Dave, um, but it, it is quite intense. Yeah, quite disappointing. And also, doubly annoying for me is if the co-commentator refuses to acknowledge the obvious yes. deflection <laughs> upon watching the replay. Yeah, there's a weird th- that that is definitely a thing that I was going to say because it feels as if almost they it would be admitting they've been cheated in sort of getting as excited to to, to say it's been deflected would be to undermine how excited yeah, they got before, yeah. and so they will just sort of yeah, or or they'll fudge it and be like. Hint of a deflection, yeah, but take nothing away from the strike. As you've if got to try and matter. be elegant about it. But it, yeah, I agree. They, they will let, essentially, Charlie, understate the deflection is basically what are saying. Yeah, they'll slightly suggest that, yeah, but it would have got in anyway. Mm. Like, it's, when you hit it that well, let's just applaud the strike rather than get bogged down in the deflection. Um, I mean, on the subject, Dave, of, of commentators and co-commentators having to do at least a 90-degree change of opinion halfway through a replay, it is a skill. Like, it's not something that particularly comes naturally, especially if you're set in your ways about something. And um, uh, the same goes for fingertip saves from goalkeepers. But that's more of a delight from a commentator. Says, oh, well, he did get a fingertip on it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. a save that was. Yeah, and that, yeah that, because that's a, a positive affirmation of the situation. But, like, I think, I think you've, just got to, you've just got to be honest. If you see that, if you see that ball's been deflected, it's fine. Yeah. Nothing to do with you. Just, just say, know. oh, and there has been a deflection. But where this disappointment kicks in, Charlie, for, as a viewer at least, is you start to try and make sort of deals with the situation. You say, okay, well, did the did the deflection materially affect the outcome of the exactly. goal? Can we still, in our own heads, call it a great goal? It, it, that's how sort of microscopic this study goes. Well, do you think, I mean, for instance, do you think a goal that's deflected has any sort of deflection should be instantly void from goal of the month and that sort of thing. For instance, there was one, Gabriel Jesus earlier this season scores for Arsenal against Leicester. Curls one, Peach into the top corner and commentator is like, you know, what a goal, etc, etc. And then it is. And I still don't even really know because it feels like it's been covered up. <laughs> Did it take a deflection? Did it take a nick? And then I think I saw it in uh, Match of the Day's goal of the month. I don't know. Like, should that be allowed... As you say, if it doesn't materially change it, can can we just make peace with it? Mm. Or is that instantly a kind of, mm, it's exempt? It's interesting that we're, we're talking about this scenario in the moment, like in the, in, the, in the sort of action replay of a goal. But there are some goals, Dave, that the doubt over their deflections goes on for years and years. Take, for mm. example, Michael Cox, who is a huge mm. deflection identifier. He has like a seventh sense for this. Um, <laughs> continues to claim with a 
little bit of justification, it's, it's not obvious, that Wayne Rooney's goal for Everton against Arsenal in 2002 as a 16-year-old was deflected. Now, looking back at the video, there is no hint of a deflection like cricket style. The snickometer wouldn't even get it. But when you think of the goal in its entirety, there is a lot of deflectedness about it. It loops up a little bit too much. There the is... arc mm. is slightly unnatural. I don't think you yes. can quite generate that yourself. Certainly not with the technique that he hits it. He he hits it with the side, sort of side foot. It's not like he's putting dip on it with the with the top of his foot. Exactly. So that's one. And then Charlie, the second piece of sort of circumstantial evidence here. I can't remember who the defender is who's stretching out a leg to try and stop it. But that is such a deflection-y type of thing to yeah. happen. Like the, the foot stuck out sideways like a kung fu kick. Um, I think that, it's so Campbell. Asking, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's asking for a deflection, isn't it? So, oh, on the balance of probabilities, is... you have to assume that it wow. did hit him. He was trying to stop it, after all. This is iconoclastic. I, that Wayne Rooney goal. I can't I mean, believe you've never seen Michael Quartz talk about this on Twitter before, Charlie. I've, yeah, well, yeah, that is surprising. Um, I probably dared not uh, disagree with him. If I can think, <laughs> if I can suggest one other goal, which again hasn't really ever had historical reframing as a deflected goal and yet is almost unquestionably a deflection, which is Luis Figo for Portugal against England yes. in 2000. Nobody, yes. I mean, I say nobody, loads of people do, but no one of any note has ever acknowledged that it was deflected. It's insane. Absolutely totally. insane. Totally. No one's ever scored a goal like that without a deflection. <laughs> and also, it just look, you can see that, I think, again, I think it's Tony Adams, isn't it? The defender who's miles off him. And it, it, it yeah, I mean, more Figo bashing from you, Adam, but I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> We've got more Figo bashing on, on Monday's recording, I can reveal. But what's the similarity of, between both of those scenarios is it is proximity of defender to ball. 100%. So So deflections that come halfway th- through the ball's journey to the goal is so obvious. But if the deflection happens immediately is so hard to spot and the trajectory of the ball you haven't had any time to adjust your eyes to see where the ball would have been going bang on it's the rhythm of it yeah completely agree um the chances for you hitting a ball through tony adams's leg near his groin and not scraping at least one bollock is impossible <laughs> figo or not so uh there, there it is it, it a huge deflection thank you eddie Rose. perhaps they'll recreate thank it on strictly next week <laughs> Oh, God. I I thought about doing Strictly Chat in the adjudication panel on Tuesday's episode, and I just thought... That would be really niche. If the the dancer just struck one through his legs and it just (laughs) rocketed into the band. A lot of people focused, Dave, on him doing a very brief um, um, rendition, is that it? A performance of his infamous uh, Granada training session. Um, The worst bit of it for me was the generic... Inflatable footballs being thrown on at the end just for added footy content. Yeah. It was very football <laughs> for DVD. <laughs> they had generic um, CGI footballs in the background, sort of falling down the screen. So fuck off, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it's just telegraphing his ex-footballness. It's uh, too much. Anyway, this isn't about us. This is about our listeners. And Liam is here to bring us home. Hi lads. So my football hate is when a player's taking a free kick. And then after the ref goes and puts his magic spray down in front of the ball, the player then moves the ball in front of the magic spray. I'm pretty sure Reese James did this for England on Monday. It just gets on my nerves. Voice like chocolate from Liam there. Um, maybe this ties into what Rory Smith raised on MHD recently, Charlie, this concept of micro-cheating. But I don't think this is even cheating. I think this is just this is almost, it's almost autopilot behaviour. 
just mm. to throw the ball a little bit further than you're allowed to. And it's not even getting an advantage. It's just it's in their DNA. Yeah. Well, it's as if, you know what it's like when the ref stops. You're like, well, that's a sort of negotiate. That's a starting point of negotiations. Yeah. I'm obviously going to edge a little bit and then it's kind of up to them. These are the marginal gains. I mean, yeah, is it then incumbent on the ref to enforce that more? Or are we saying that people just shouldn't be taking the piss? I don't know. I mean, in att- in attacking situations, Dave's like a free kick out on the out on the right side. Um, moving the ball maybe four or five inches forward is deemed to be acceptable in this context. It's just the done thing. But defensive free kicks from deep in your own half, when the goalkeeper sort of absolutely spins it about ten yards further than where the offence was occurred, fans hate that. And I I would love to know the exact threshold at which fans go. No, nah, no, you can't take it from there. You can't have it there. It was way back there. <laughs> also, um, throw-ins creeping. Yeah, but but it, a lot it, about that. This is the sort of thing that in stadiums, pockets of fans who never otherwise join in in the chanting will get really animated about. Because often, because it's the people on the side who probably aren't usually, you know, not the sort of big chanting areas behind goals, and you'll just see, you just you you know when those guys are annoyed, you know there's been an injustice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm really, really glad we included this one as the final one. It's bread and butter stuff for us, but it, but it really gets people's goats, and it's almost imperceptible. And it does to, to, to a nod to the many, many people who you mentioned at the top who who sent in stuff about quadrants. It, it's, it's yeah. sort of the same mm. thing. Really appeals to the quadrant voters, yeah. doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, completely agree. Um, what a journey this was! What a worthwhile exercise this was too, Dave. I'm pleased. I'm glad we allowed people into our world. Indeed. We should do it again. We should definitely do it again. How about we do this on the, the last Thursday of every month? We can make it MHD open to all. Your shout. Mm, floodgates <laughs> open. You're on football cliches. It's, a bit like a, it's like a phone-in. It's, a, it's the closest that Dave yes. will let us go to a phone-in. He says, you don't do it, it won't be as good as you think. Ah, uh, well, we found a happy medium. So here it is. The voice notes a are a nice filtered touch. phone-in. I thought the voice notes were an excellent touch. Yes, that was lovely. Mm, good to have some semblance of regional accents on the Football Clichés podcast. Anyway, thanks to everyone for listening and contributing. Uh, If you didn't get on this week, uh, there's a fair chance you've been shortlisted for a future MHD, so don't lose faith. Unless, of course, you emailed in about quadrants, because it's never going to (laughs) happen. Never. Um, Thanks to you, Dave. Thank you. Thanks to you, Charlie. Thank you. Thanks for everyone for listening. Truly, thanks for listening. And we'll see you on Tuesday. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.